Yeah, good morning to you. We're glad you're here at Dorisville Baptist Church. Are y'all glad to be here today? Yeah, we have. Amen. Yeah, I'm telling you what. You, you know, you're right, dude. I'm looking at you. We had a great crowd in first service, and this is a wonderful crowd right here. We're just glad you're here, and I know we have several guests here. Thank y'all so much for coming and worshiping with us. You're just part of the family, so we are very glad that you are here. And, you know, I was going to say anything, but I just got to take a moment and say, you know, first off, you know, the video um, is so about Blue Sunday. If you saw that, the, the, uh, the picture torn you know, the, the broken down homes, you know, so much about that. And the answer is Jesus, you know, that last song we just sang, is he worthy? And he is, and you know, I'm telling you, we've got to get this as a church down. You know, church is not the answer. And, and I mean that. And religion is not the answer, but Jesus Christ is. We can turn our culture around by sharing the powerful gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Church won't change America, but Jesus can and will. So we've got to be about the Father's business um, in everything we do. He's worthy, and he is the answer for our culture um, today. Well, like I said earlier, as we're trying to do our family series a little bit different, and today is no exception to that. This is week number three, and we're calling it Green Acres. You know, Judy and I were out traveling. Was it, I think, Friday night? It was almost dark, not quite. It was about 7 o'clock, 7.05. Sunset's about 7.35 now. And so I said, she said, you want to go out for a ride? I said, yeah, let's go. And so we did, and we out by Nan's house, out by the farm, Nan, and around that way and through that. And, oh, there was just field after field after field. And most of them, you couldn't really see anything green, but there was a slight tint of green. But every field was just plowed meticulously. It was beautiful just the way they prepared the ground. And, you know, two of my favorite farmers are Danny and Chris Evans, and uh, they taught me a whole lot about farming about that much. Um, but anyway, I, 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 as I see them in the work, and they'll tell you this, you know, if you want to have green acres, you've got to do the prep work. If you want to have green acres, you know, the, 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 the lush corn that's going to be up in just a few months and to five or six feet tall, the soybeans that'll be two and a half, three feet tall, that doesn't happen automatically. The farmer has to do the prep work if he's going to have the harvest in the fall. And that is the big picture of what we're trying to say today. Because you say, well, Dwayne, these sermons that you're doing don't seem to have a whole lot to do about family. But in reality, they do. Because if we're going to have strong families and successful families, then we've got to do the groundwork, the prep work. And it's just not enough to be busy. It's just not enough to be busy. You know, let's say Danny. You know, let's say Danny was, you know what, I know I need to be in the field, but I've got to do the bookwork. And so he spends, you know, a month doing the bookwork or something else around the house. You know, you know, Nancy has wanted this kitchen painted forever. I better paint that kitchen for Nancy and whatever. Those are important and busy things, but it doesn't get the crops done. It doesn't get the prep work done. So Danny has to prioritize what he does to make sure the prep work is done. And the whole message today is hopefully I'm going to teach you the importance of prepping the ground for a successful family and a successful um, marriage. And that's how we're going to have green acres. Now, you'll notice our scripture today comes from Ephesians in chapter 5. Um, let me tell you just a little bit about Ephesians. You know, you got, keep in mind, I always like to remind us of this, that virtually everything Paul wrote was a letter. It was never intended to be a book in the Bible. Uh, we call it the book of Ephesians. But really, it was just correspondence. It was letters. And um, what happened was, Paul stopped by Ephesus one day. Ephesus was a large Roman city, um, a center place for all things 
Greek and Roman gods. I mean, there were temples everywhere in Ephesus. And Paul goes there and starts a church. And then he leaves. And then other guys came in to be the pastor of those churches. But Paul left. And several years later, and of course, guess where he is? Yeah, he's sitting in prison. Paul spent a lot of time in prison. He's sitting in prison. And he heard about the Ephesus church, the church at Ephesus, struggling. So he says, you know what I'll do? I will write them a letter. So he writes them a letter, and that's what we call the book of Ephesians. Now, if you'll notice, Ephesians is divided into two parts. The first part is all about the gospel. Chapters 1, 2, and 3, I mean, they are good chapters. They're powerful, especially chapter 1. It's just a doxology of praise for all that God has done. So he teaches us in in chapter 1, 2, and 3 all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then, in chapters 4, 5, and 6... He teaches us how to live out the gospel. So he teaches us, one, two, three, about the gospel, but then he teaches us how to live out the gospel. And smack dab in the middle of four, five, and six, in chapter five, he gives us some incredible teaching on how to live the Christian life. Now listen, it's important we live the Christian life always, and there's many reasons why we should do that. I think Barbara said there's many reasons why she's an advocate for CASA. There's many reasons why we should live out our faith in Jesus Christ and live out the gospel. But one of the most important ones is our families. Our families. The most most valuable commodity God has given you is your family. And it is so important, if you're a Christ follower, for you to pour in Jesus into your family and let Jesus run your family and rule in your family so you can have a successful family. And by the way, I didn't do this in first. We got a little more time in second service, but this is so important. You know, you know, I've already said it. You know, religion's not the answer for your family. Yeah, I know a lot. There, usually, there's a time when a young family um, will have kids. And they'll say, you know what? We ought to take our kids to church, and that is like totally, totally right. But church in and of itself is not the answer. Or, or somebody will casually say, yeah, man, I finally got religion. I get religion. But religion in and of itself is not the answer. This is the answer. You know, the Bible teaches us that everybody has sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And that the payment for sin was death. And, and the deal was, you know, we couldn't pay for our sin. And along comes Jesus, born of a virgin, lives a perfect sinless life. And then at age 30, goes public. For three years, he goes about doing miracles, proving he's the son of God. And then at age 33, allows himself to be nailed to a Roman cross. Why do you do that? Because the payment for sin was death. And he was willing to die on a Roman cross that we could have forgiveness of sins. And anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus, willing to turn from their sins and follow him, can have that forgiveness. Now listen, that's a game changer. Because again, it's not just church, it's not just religion, it is something that comes in, he comes and lives within you and empowers you to do life. And trust me, that is like so important when it comes to family. So we're going to start in verse number 15. I hope you'll get the worship app out. You've got version on your electronic device. If you open up your version app, go down to the corner where it says, the free line says more, and you click on that, and there's events, and then go to the one that's current for today. And it'll give you all the scriptures and all the quotes that we're going to talk about. Now, I'll tell you up front, I've already whacked this sermon down to about two-thirds um, because of time and restraints. And I, had, I cooked too much spaghetti, okay? And so, but what we're going to do on Mother's Day is we're going to come back and get this stuff on Mother's Day. So we're having spaghetti for Mother's Day lunch. You can mark it down, all right? Okay, so let's look. And these are like, oh, there's like seven things that Paul talks about that are all game changers in in helping us have the green acres uh, that we so desire in our families, to have a 
lead to a good harvest for our family. Now, he starts out in verse number 15 of Ephesians chapter 5. He says, and this is important again for taking notes, you know, pay careful attention. Pay. He's warning us that you need to listen to what I'm about to say. Because here's what I wrote down. You know, pay careful attention or you will pay. Pay careful attention or you will pay. Well, Dwayne, what are we paying careful attention to? Well, he says, you know, pay careful attention then to on how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So pay careful, careful attention how then, how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise. Now, he's not talking about I should be careful walking around all this electronic equipment or else I'll trip and fall. He's obviously talking about the way we live. We're to be careful the way we do life. And he breaks it down so clear for us. He says that we should walk not as unwise people, but as wise. Not as unwise, but as wise. Now, in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 16, if you write that down, this is a great verse. It's just a great verse. It really nails down what Paul is saying, not as unwise people, but wise. Here's what Proverbs 14, 16 says. The wise, the wise are cautious and avoid danger Fools plunge ahead with reckless confidence. So, in other words, people who are wise, all right, they're cautious. They, they, they see danger ahead. They see something coming up that they should avoid, and they do that. They avoid it because they're cautious. They're alert. They're going, oh, no, this, this could be dangerous for me, okay? But on the other hand, fools plunge ahead in reckless confidence or reckless abandonment. In other words, they just charge full steam ahead, and that's a foolish thing to do. You see, the Bible says, okay, the Bible teaches us that, that we are to, um, we're to look for and establish our lives in the will of God. And, and, and doing that, it strengthens us. And doing that, it guides us and it directs us. So, so if we're wise, we'll avoid danger. We'll see danger and avoid it. But if not, we just plunge straight ahead. There's a picture of that in Proverbs chapter 7. I want to take just a moment and read three or four verses. Um, this is from the New Living Bible. Uh, I taught this to the men on Wednesday night, oh, about two weeks ago. Uh, the author says this, While I was at the window of my house looking through the curtain, I saw some naive young men, and one in particular who lacked common sense. Have you ever lacked common sense before? Have you ever gone, what was I thinking? Okay, well, this guy looks out the window, and he sees this, these youth, and they're naive, they're, they're, they're not experienced, but in particular, he sees one of them who really seems not to have it together. And the Bible says that, that while he was looking, um, he was crossing the street near the house of an immoral woman. In other words, he's heading straight for danger. He intentionally, he's on this side of the road, he intentionally crosses the road to head over to her house. And then it says this, it was twilight in the evening as darkness fell. So it's really important we understand that we need to have some spiritual common sense. We need to understand, we have to pay careful attention how we walk, not as unwise people, but as wise people. So what's our teaching point? Our teaching point is this. Where we walk and how we walk are equally important. Where do you walk in life? Where is your, where is your pattern of life taking you right now? Where are you headed to and how are you walking? Both of them are important. Are you walking as a wise man? Dad, if you're a dad, or, or mom, if you're a mom, or, or perhaps you're, you're single here today, however it might be, you know, are you walking intentionally and carefully, okay, and are you avoiding the things that are dangerous? I came up with a say this. It's in the worship app, but it's not in a slide. It's like this, you know. Here's what I wrote. You know, in life, 
in life, the best option is to avoid cow pastures. And isn't that true? Isn't that true? You know, but here's the deal. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes as you're walking through, walking through life, you're going to walk through a cow pasture. And then you've got to be careful. If you can't avoid them, you've got to watch and walk carefully or you're going to step in something. Now, I'm telling you this. Listen, I'm telling you, if we're not careful, we will walk through life and we will step in something. And it's going to be making more than a stinky shoe. It could burn your life. It's very important. Men, it is so important as we walk through life, we watch how we step. Ladies, it's so important how we watch how we step. You know, students today, it's so important we watch how we step. Avoid the cow pasture if you can, but if you cannot avoid the cow pasture, then just be sure and watch and walk carefully. So, back to verse 15, pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise. Now, in verse 16, okay, he moves on to another powerful truth. He tells us this, making the most of time because the days are evil. Making the most of time. Using the time as, as valuably as you can because the days are evil. I'm going to give you an illustration, um, not because it's about me, but because I think it says something. Um, you've allowed me, and God said, okay, that I stay here for 21 years. 21 years. So it's been 21 years since I came as your pastor. I was 46, you were 36, thereabouts, okay? We were both a lot younger. And, and here we are 21 years later, and we're going, oh, my gosh. I can't believe two decades, Brent, have come and gone. Now, here's what's significant. If I do this again, not here, but if God gives me 21 more years, I mean, this has been like, this has been like a snap of the fingers, we, we all go, where is the time gone? Y'all will say something, I'll go, oh, I was here for that. And, you know, time just flies by so quickly. And if God gives me 21 more years, I will be 88 years old. So you see, my point is this. You know, you've got to make the most of the time. You've got to make most of the time. You have got to evaluate and God help me, show me how I can use this time. Because the days are evil. Now, I'll be honest with you, again, to be true to the context of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16, you've got to remember, what's the culture? The culture is Ephesus. The culture is false gods. Okay? It's a place, it's a place where they desperately needed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? So what Paul is saying, he figured the days were short, and so he's telling the church at Ephesus, look, you're planted, you're planted in a great place for evangelism. So you need to make the most of the time because the days are evil. The end is coming. Look at me. We live in a dangerous time. Our culture, our culture is rapidly running away from God. And if you're a mom and a dad and you've got kids, you've got to understand you've got to do your part in helping your kids grow up in this dangerous culture. More and more and more and more, we are seeing people who abandon and walk away from God. And we've got to be about the Father's business. Amen? Does that make sense? Does that make sense? We've got to be about the Father's business because the days truly are evil. Now, here's a quote from, from Rick Warren. It just says so much. You know, time is your most precious gift. 
Because you only have a set amount of time. Every day, here's what happens. You don't even know this, but every day you wake up. Now, I happen to wake up about 5 o'clock, 4 30, something in the morning. It doesn't matter when. But when I wake up, God puts a deposit in my account of 1,440 minutes. 1,440 minutes. Never anymore. No matter how busy I am, no matter how I make, you know, well, I've got this to do and this to do, everybody gets 1,440 minutes. Now, we may have less. We may have less. We don't know we're going to finish today. Amen. We don't know that. So, so Rick Warren says, now listen, time is your most precious commodity. Okay? Because you only have a set amount of it. You can make more money. There's always ways to make more money. If you don't have enough money today, you can get another part-time job. You can sell something. You can get more money. You can make more money, but you can't make more time. So it's just important. Listen, listen, listen. In 2000, my first grandchild was born, Faith. Today, she's on the premises of 21 years old. Your most, look at me, your most, as, a, as a parent, your most valuable time is right now with your children. You won't always have the amount of influence that you've got now. Use that time to influence your child. Listen, listen, influence your child, not just influence your child. But if you are a Christ follower, influence your child for Jesus Christ. That's your job. That's your job. That slide where it says, you know, talking about the arrows, launching the arrows. Our most important job is to launch our kids' lives bathed in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what God has put us here for, making the most of time because the days are evil. You can make money, but you'll never get more time. And then... Tied in with that. In verse 17, he says something that seems off, off balance a little bit. So, so don't be foolish. So don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, this is where that Psalm 14, one verse is so good. Now, here's what he says. You know, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, now if, you've got a, a comment, if you've got a copy of the Bible, particularly a printed copy, there's a good chance you'll see the word there is is printed in a town. So what that means is it's not in the Hebrew. It's Hebrew. So, so Paul says, so don't be foolish. And then the word of God comes along and says, now listen, it's a foolish thing to say the fool says, no God. No God. Can I ask you this question? What priority is the will of God in your life? As a, as a husband, as a wife, as a mother, or a father? What is the priority of the will of God? Do you ever talk to God about His will? Have you ever sat down and said, Hey God, what do you want us to do? Have you taught your children to say, Hey God, what do you want us to do? What do you want my son to do? What do you want my daughter to do? You know, Paul says, Don't be foolish. It's a foolish thing to say, God, you don't need to be in this picture. You know, we're going to do it our way. It's a foolish thing to say, No, God. So he says, understand what the Lord's will is. It's, that's kind of hard. Amen. It's kind of hard. Okay, here's the deal. Where God, where God speaks clearly in his word, you just do it. See, we spend, we, we're all wound up tight about, well, you know, I don't know what God's will is. Well, if he says something in his word... You don't need to have a committee meeting, okay? You don't have to have a family council meeting. And you don't even have to pray about it. If he's already disclosed something in his word, you just do it. 
Now, if you're a Christ follower, you just do it. And then, and then, if he doesn't, well, it says, understand what the will of the Lord is. You work through it. I don't even know. I am so glad my kids are grown because I've seen some of the homework they bring home, and buddy, Paul Paul would seem not very smart. Okay? But back in the old days, you know, like we had short division and long division. And I may know the answer to a, to, to a problem and just write the answer above the little line there, you know? Well, there you go. But you know what the teacher would say sometimes? Show me your work. Show me your work. Well, sometimes God says, okay, to know my will for you, then you have to show the work. You're going to have to say, okay, God, it may involve prayer. It may involve Bible study. It may include wise counsel. God, what do I need to do? Help me to seek and to find your will. Now, Paul gives us a great example of this in Romans chapter 12, verse number 2. It's a common verse. It's a common verse. And it involves two-step verification. Now, again, for some of you older folks, okay, um, you may not get that. But trust me, everybody probably my age and down, probably if you've got an electronic, if you've got an electronic device, you probably know exactly what two-step verification is. Here's what, here's what it works. Back in the earlier days, you simply had a password. And you put your password in your phone, okay, you know, or your iPad or your computer, and that said, hi, this is me, let me in. And the, and the program said, sure, come on in. Well, then the hackers came along, and they got really good at stealing our identity and getting into our information. So they came up with a two-step verification. And what that means is this. I put my password in, and it says, hi, Dwayne, glad you're here to... You understand it really doesn't say that. Hi, Dwayne, how are you doing today? Listen, we just want to make sure it's you. So what we're going to do, we're going to send a code to your phone. Okay, And then you take that code and put it in, and we'll let you in. The writers of the app are simply saying this, or the programmer saying this. If you've got the password and you've got your phone, chances are it's you. You verify who you are. Well, Paul applies this two-step verification to the will of God. How do we know the will of God? Okay, there's two steps. Look at verse number, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Here it is. Do not... Conform, don't be pressured, don't be pressured to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by renewing your mind. So step number one is do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. So in order to know the will of God, you've got to be different from the world. You've got to do business differently from the world. You've got to walk differently than the world. Okay? Don't let the world pressure you. I'm telling you, there is pressure everywhere. Whether you're an old pawpaw like me, or whether a young Young parent trying to decide what to do with the kids and all the pressures of that. There's pressure there. And people will put that pressure on you. You know, should your child play sports on Sunday or not? Should they miss church on Sunday or not? Well, listen, if your child doesn't play, we can't have a team. Whoa. You don't want to be the bad guy. Your child says, but daddy, if I don't show up for practice on, on Wednesday night, then daddy, I can't play. I can't start. What do you do with that? Well, Paul says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. We do business differently because we are believers in Christ. So step number one, we're not going to be conformed, we're not going to be forced or pressured into the way the church does business. All right. Instead, we're going to be transformed. This is step number two. Be transformed by renewing of your mind. Okay. So what do you use to shape your worldview? What do you use to transform your mind? It's the word of God. 
It's the Word of God. Have you ever seen a, a caterpillar turn into a butterfly? We had, hey, Judy, do you remember, where were we? We were on an island or something somewhere, and they actually had the butterfly cage. Remember that? And so we were sitting there, and, and you know, you, you, they had these uh, cocoons hanging upside down, and one was like two-thirds of the way split open. You could just see the wings there. So we went walking, okay, and we came back like 45 minutes later and came back, and there was a butterfly. Metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. And when Paul says, but be transformed by renewing your mind, he's saying, allow the word of God to metamorph you. See, you're going to have a worldview. What is going to establish your worldview? It has to be the word of God. If you're a Christ follower, if you're a Christ follower, it doesn't matter what the preacher says. It doesn't matter what the church says. It doesn't matter what your religious denomination says. It matters what the word of God says. So you get into the book and you allow it to metamorph Okay, your mind. You determine the will of God by living differently from the world, and then you allow the word of God to metamorph your world. Then, Paul says, it's then, which implies, by the way, if you don't, you can't. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. How good is that? How good is that? When we determine that we're going to follow the will of God, life is simply better. You know, there's a lady named Nancy DeMoss. She has a ministry along with her husband. And this is, if you don't remember any other quote, this is the one to remember. Okay? God's will is what we would choose if we knew what God knows. Is that not good? See, here's the deal. Does God ever have, oops, did y'all, did y'all ever get up on a morning and you just knew God was up there going, whew, boy, I made a mistake on that one. You, know, you think God ever goes, never saw that one coming. You know, oh, made a mistake. No, none of that. None of that. See, God's will is perfect and best for us. Okay? So, if we knew what God knew, we would choose His will every time. Not because we're robots, not because He'll punish us if we don't, because He won't. Okay, but what if his will is the best, we would choose the best. You want the best for your marriage? You, you do, don't you? You want the best for your children? How about for your family? How about, how about for you? Well, God's will is what we would choose if we knew what God knows. So don't be foolish, Paul says. We need to do the will of God. So, so our teaching point is this. We, we need to know what the will of God is, and and also what it isn't. We need to learn and allow God to show us what his will is, but also what it isn't. See, here's the deal. Uh, you ever been car shopping before? Yeah, yeah. You find the perfect car. I mean, the perfect car. We're the perfect salesman. And he gives you the perfect deal on financing. And you go, it's got to be a God thing. It's got perfect car, perfect, perfect financing. It's got to be a God thing. Really? Here's the deal. Write this down. Just because the stars line up doesn't mean it's God's will. Amen. Just because the stars line up, it doesn't mean that it is the will of God. The bottom line is this. Both Satan and our heart can deceive us and will deceive us. Here's for us. Here's the number two best salesman. And it starts with S. Remember the Garden of Eden? You won't surely die. God just knows that when you eat that fruit, you'll become like him. 
And she believed it because Satan is such a good salesman. Satan will say to you, oh, come on, listen, I know what the Bible says, but come on. God wants you to be happy. God wants you to be this. God wants you to be that. Come on. He's a good salesman. But the number one salesman is your heart. We can convince ourselves of anything. I mean, you and I both know people who had an affair because they were convinced that's what God wanted them to do. God wanted them to be happy, so that's all that mattered. Your heart. Satan will lie to you and your heart. In fact, listen to what Jeremiah 17, 9 says. The heart is more deceitful than anything else. Whoa! The heart is more deceitful than anything else. And it's incurable. Who can understand it? Who can understand Brother Dwayne, my heart just feels right. I know he's not a believer. I know he's a drunk. I know he has a past of drug abuse. But my heart says to marry him. Your heart's lying to you. Don't listen to your heart. It's more deceitful than anything else. Let me give you a great prayer. Here's a great prayer. This is Psalm 139, 23. Search me, O God. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. Hey, God, I don't know my heart. Hey, God, I can't trust my heart. But you know my heart. Search me and see and show me what you want me to do. Then he moves down verse number 18, the first part. That is his favorite verse. And don't get drunk with wine. Now, I know and you know that there's a lot of teetotalers in a Baptist church. I'm a teetotaler, personally. Okay? So, yo, this is where we all go, amen, that's right, yeah, you know, don't be drunk with wine. I get that one. But here's the deal. Just so you'll have something you can take home and say you can use. Wine isn't the only thing we get drunk on. Wine isn't the only thing we get drunk on. Everybody, anybody ever heard this phrase? He was drunk with power. He was drunk with lust. He was drunk with pride. See, yeah, we could talk about wine, but we also can talk about what are we intoxicated with? What is, what is it that we are intoxicated with? What, what in your life right now, what in your life is leading you down a reckless path? There's a tra- there is a train there's a train wreck coming. You know it's coming. What's leading you down that reckless path? What's going to cost you your character? What's going to cost you your children? What's going to cost you, you know, all that you are? Your testimony. There's a train wreck coming. And so he tells us, don't let that intoxicate you. Because it leads to reckless living. Here's our teaching point. Everyone worships something. Everyone worships something. Everyone is under someone else's sway. And the question is this. Who or what controls you? Who or what controls Who sways you? Who's, who's pushing you this way or that way? What button does this person mash or Satan mash or your heart mashes that causes you to sway and to be guided? Everyone worships something. Who or what controls you? Well, what's the alternative, Dwayne? Because he says, don't be filled with wine where it's in excess or at least a drunkenness. 
because it leads to reckless living. Here's what he said. But be filled by the Spirit. The alternative to drunkenness or alcohol for the believer is the Holy Spirit. Be filled. Now, I'll say it now and I'll say it again in just a moment. The word filled there means to be controlled by. Be controlled by. Um, this morning, I was studying, you know, again. <laughs> and I said prayer. And I said, God, I remember what I was going to say here. I said, God, I need for you to fill me. Because God, the last thing I need to do is get on that stage and say what I want to say. I need for you to be in control. I need for you to be in control of me as a pastor, a teacher of the Word of God. So Paul says, be filled. Allow, just like, just like alcohol controls a person, um, their emotions, their heart, all of that, just like alcohol controls a person, then you need to let the Holy Spirit control you. Now this is really good. This is really good. The word fill means to be controlled. I already said that. That's just a repeat. Okay? But I love this. And I'm not a Greek expert. You know that. I'm not pretending to be. Again, I wrestle with English. Okay? But this is really strong. Now, the word fill means to be controlled. I need, I took time in the first service to say this. I'll say it now. There's one baptism of the Holy Spirit. And most of us here today believe that occurs upon salvation. All right? We actually believe that's the Holy Spirit that causes the regeneration of our hearts, souls, and spirits. Okay? Then there's many fillings of. So we're baptized one time with the Holy Spirit, but we're filled multiple times. And that's what it says here. So filled means to be controlled by, and it's plural. That is for all believers. God didn't pick, God didn't pick Mike over here and say, Mike, you get to be filled with the Spirit, and, and Gayla, you don't. Okay? It's for all of us. All of us need to be in control of the Holy Spirit, whether we're on stage talking or not. Okay? So it's for all believers, but it's also present tense, and that simply means an ongoing process. Okay? It goes on and on and on. One of the great prayers we should pray is, God, fill me with your Spirit. Fill me your spirit. I need, I need to yield, and you need to fill me. I need to yield, and you need to fill me. It's an ongoing process, and it is passive. I like this. It's not something we do, but it's done to us and for us. That's important. It's not like i got to get down on the altar and just beg God, Oh God, oh God, please fill me, please fill me, please fill me. Its will is that we be filled with the Spirit. Our job is to yield and surrender. His job is to fill. And as we yield and surrender, you know, it's like having an empty glass. And you pour water in the glass. The glass has to be empty for the water. We have got to empty ourselves out so the Holy Spirit can fill us. And trust me, this is cool. Because when we do that, we gain the wisdom and the power that we need to be moms and dads and husbands and wives and just everyday people. Everyday people. It's so, so important. So, so don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit. And then watch this. There's another result of this. I loved it. I, I stumbled into this. You know, in verse 19, he talks about speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. In other words, a result, a result of being filled with the Spirit is worship. It's worship. And here's the deal. Listen, worship is more than a song on Sunday morning. You know, we try to do two or three songs, maybe four, uh, sometimes, okay? But, but worship is far more than a song on Sunday. It's a take-it-to-the-streets thing. It's, it's like it's to be shared, and it has to have impact. So when we're filled with the Spirit, 
We live a worshipful life. And we take it outside this building and touch the lives of other people. It's like the gospel. The gospel is meant to be shared, and so is worship. And, and it's to have an impact, and so is worship. So, so when we're filled with the Spirit, we have this worshipful impact in the world around us. And trust me, when we do that, when we're singing these songs and hymns to other people, it impacts them in a positive way. So in Ephesians 5.20, it says this, you know, giving thanks, part of being filled with the Spirit, is giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks for everything to God, God the Father, and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, listen to Psalm 136. This is so good. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His mercy, faithful love, endures His mercy. That's King James. His faithful love endures forever. Now, this is so, so important. Do you see it? Did you grab it? For He is good. I mean, we all agree, God does good things. He, he's a do-good God. He goes, but here's the deal. You know, He does good things. He is good. He is good. Now, now listen, that means this. If, if he is a good God, if he is good, for he is good, if he's a good God, that just nails down the fact he's incapable of doing not good. Well, Dwayne, why is that so important? Glad you asked. You can trust him. You can trust him. No matter, no matter what's going to pop up in your life today or tomorrow, it's all filtered through God, and God is good, so he does good things. You know, James chapter 1, verse 17, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. Every good and perfect gift comes down. You know, Craig Barnes said this. He says this. Gratitude is our ability to see the grace of God morning by morning. Gratitude is our ability to see the grace of God morning by morning. Let me set it up for you. So God decided to give the Israelites uh, manna. You know, he fed them. Okay? So every morning they would go out, okay, and there would be this food laying there, and all they had to do is pick it up. Okay? Now, the idea was this. They would go out and get the food, and they'd say, Oh, God is good, God is faithful, and God can be trusted. Heard those words before. God is good, God is faithful, and God can be trusted. The secondary thing that was supposed to happen, though, is later on when they were thirsty and water was running short, they had two options. They could say, All right, God, we are better off in Egypt because there's no water here. Or they could say, Wait a minute. This morning, I went out to pick up manna. And I would suppose that if God is good enough to give me manna, he's good enough to be faithful and feed me, he'll probably provide water too. We need to nail down. When God does something in our lives, hold it. Nail it down. Embrace it. Tattoo it on yourself. Because it's so valuable. Later on when things don't go quite as well, see, that's what he says. Gratitude is our ability to see the grace of God morning by morning, no matter what else greets us in the course of the day. When we remember how good and faithful God is, gratitude says, you know what? No matter what I bump in, I know. I know His grace is sufficient for me. And then we finish up. Verse 21. He says this, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. The word submit there is good. It means to put others first. It means to yield to one another. And that's just what he did. And notice that you say, well, Dwayne, so, so, so you're saying I should submit to my husband? Uh, yeah, that's what it says. Uh, then husbands, you say, you mean I'm supposed to submit to my wife? Uh, yeah. I'm supposed to submit to my boss? Yeah. 
And the guy you're sitting next to that you don't even like, you come to church but you don't like him, you're supposed to submit to him. Yeah, because you see, the word submission here means putting others first. It means yielding. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. Look what it says. Submit to one another in the fear of Christ. You don't do it for the person. You do it for Christ. You don't do it for the other person. It's not about, you know, if it's your husband, it's not like, is my husband worthy of, of me respecting him? Or if it's your wife, is, is my wife worthy of love? It doesn't matter. Because you're not doing it for them. You're doing it for Christ. Oh, oh, oh and by the way, he loved you enough he died on this. You really want to tell him no? You really want to say, eh, not today, God? I, I don't think so. Submit to one another. I love Matthew 20, 28. You know, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life a ransom for me. He gave his life. So our teaching point is this. You know, Jesus was the only human who could walk into any room and always be the most important person present. Think about that. You know, you know we all know this. We all know this. You know, you do a wedding. Come on, let's be honest. Who's the most important person in the room? The bride. Sure, the bride is. You know, you go to the White House, meet the president. The most important person in the room is the president. It's not, but listen, Jesus was the only human who could walk into any room and always be the most important person in the room. How incredible is that? That's how he put others first. Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. He showed us the example that by always not Doing the power play. In fact, do you remember Thursday night before he died on Friday? You remember that? Yeah, yeah, you remember. He took off his robe and put a towel around his waist. He got another towel and a basin of water and started washing the disciples' feet. Remember that? The lowest thing a person could do was wash dirty feet. And he did that. And then he got up and said, by the way, I'm teaching you something tonight. He said, um, what I've done, you ought to do. And it wasn't really about washing feet as much as it was putting others first. That's hard sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> Y'all like it when I show my humanness? Well, we went to Subway. We never go to Subway. We went to Subway and pulled in the parking lot and there were no cars there. Because you know what their slogan is, don't you? Eat fresh. Which means they've got to make the sandwich. So it takes a while. Three, four, five minutes to make a sandwich. And so, so we're sitting here. I said, Judy, there, did I not say this? Judy, there are no cars here. Let's go. So as we're getting out of the car, a car pulls in. And she parked closer to the door than me. You know my response. I instantly said, Judy, let's let her go first. I don't think so. I looked at Judy and I said, hurry, come on. She beat me to the door. And you know what she did? Yeah. She held the door open for me. Putting others first. How would it change our families if husbands, we put our wives first? How would it be, wives, if we put our husbands first? That would be an amazing transformation. He washed his feet. So these, was it, seven or eight things? I know it's a lot for 
25, 30 minutes worth of sermon. But, you know, these things are things that help us have green acres. Now, we're going to talk about some more practical things with family next week and the week after that. But these are things that if we'll trust God with, it's a game changer. It's a game changer. It can help you be a better parent, a better spouse, a better person, a better person. You know, I wrote this down. I said this. You know, in family, in family, um, we show our submission through love, respect, and honor. That's how we do family. We do it by love, respect, and honor. And then you add a sprinkling of grace, and you have the ingredients for a successful family. Now, you don't have a perfect family. Is, it, is there anything such as a perfect family? No. No, there's not. But you can have the ingredients for a successful family. And when you have those three things and a sprinkling of grace, yeah. You know, grace is like bacon. Everybody knows bacon makes everything better. You know, you put it on a cheeseburger, boom. You know, you put it in baked beans, hello. I mean, and then, then shoot, sometimes you only need bacon. All you need is bacon grease. Just put grace and, bacon grease on something. Same way with grace. You got love, respect, and honor, and then you had that sprinkling of grace. And you have the ingredients for a successful family. There's two things I know. If you're here today, and I took the time to tell you, you know, it's not about church or religion. We're so glad that you're here. Please come back. But we want you to know the answer is Jesus. We, we understand that, uh, hang on a second, my watch is asking me if I fell or not. It, it cares for me. <laughs> you know, we are so excited what Jesus did in our lives. And if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, um, we would love that. So that's the first thing. But the second part is this. And you know, it just occurred to me that so many of us struggle in our Christian walk, and this is why. We're not following this recipe for success. You know, we're trying to get a green acre deal and not follow God's plan for green acres. And if we're willing to trust Him and surrender and commit, amazing things can happen. Again, will it be perfect? Nope. Will it be easy? Probably not. But will it be successful? And the answer is yes. So would you bow your heads, please? Thank you for your patience today. I just looked at the clock and realized how late it was. If you're here today and you need Jesus Christ as Savior, we always end our service with a time of decision. And my friend Brent's going to be standing down front. And uh, I think I can get this out. I just read this yesterday. A friend was saying, a man was saying how he worked with Billy Graham in his crusades. And they were in a largely Catholic nation. And uh, the friend jokingly said to the person escorting them on the stage, you better be careful to make a Protestant out of me. And Billy Graham responded, we will not make a Protestant out of you, but we'd love to make a Christian out of you. You know, Jesus is what matters. So if you're here today, we'd love to trust Jesus Christ. And don't be discouraged. You may feel overwhelmed. That was so much truth and so much do this and do that. Don't be overwhelmed. Because that key verse, but be filled with the Spirit. Our flesh can't do it. We can't do it. But God can do it through us. If we trust Him, if we'll yield, and if we'll surrender, He'll do that. So God, thank you for the opportunity you gave me to share today. Father, I pray for my friend on Facebook or perhaps in the room.
who may need Jesus, may today be the day they make that decision. We know you love them so much, so we pray for that. And God, for all of us Christ followers, Jesus followers, Father, we struggle. It's hard to do life. It's hard to do family. We want to do the right thing, and no matter how we try, it seems sometimes we fail. So I want to pray, Father, that you'll lead, guide, and direct us. Fill us with your spirit, that we might too, as you have led us to do. And Jesus, I pray this in your